0: if there are any questions or if you just want to talk about your experiences.
1: Some of us, perhaps many, come to Buddhism and I think to meditation practice because we have pressing concerns and we may have the hope that perhaps through practice we can relieve and find some peace or ease of mind Um, through this practice and when we come and we begin our awareness and our investigation and our thinking about the mind and what the mind is doing I find that um, these concerns um, increase uh, a level of anxiety uh, depending on how I feel so in a way the concerns intrude uh, upon me and reinforce old habits Mm. of thinking. So if the meditation practice is to make my mind uh, of a better quality and stronger, how can I modify this practice Mm. or think about it so that um, I can handle these these concerns as they arise
0: he says um, maybe you have misunderstood what he means by uh, how to use thinking for the practice Um, he doesn't mean to allow those thoughts that you usually have of anxiety and so on that are habitual patterns in the mind he's not saying to Keep thinking those thoughts. He's really saying to think about the things he has said to figure out how to practice in an effective way, in a way that is effective for yourself. So he's given a lot of information, yeah? A lot of information that is right in different circumstances, For use in practice of in the practice of meditation and he says you need to reflect on that information to find out for yourself and maybe experiment with the different things and see what is helpful for you in which situation but he's not asking you to think about those things that make you anxious or are troubling in life it's more about thinking Hello about me. what to do now. Hello. What is a better thing to do right now that would be effective for right this job. situation
1: now. Right view now?
0: He says, for example, what he talked about, about right view, he says, you can think over his argument for regarding everything as nature. Really take it to heart. Think it over yourself and see whether your mind um, can take that perspective. So taking it to heart, rather than just using the words, and see whether your mind can view this. Because if we don't see if we can view this as nature, he says naturally the mind identifies with whatever it's experiencing. If not that, he says, even a simple checking, if that is too much. You know, a simple checking is greed present in the mind now. Is the mind having a lot of expectation? Or is there a hidden expectation Uh, or aversion? Is there a subtle dissatisfaction with what is happening? Is there some delusion that's present? The mind doesn't understand something and therefore... so, checking, just that checking also is a kind of awareness. Remind mm-hmm. Another way that you could use thinking is just reminding yourself. Reminding yourself, oh, I need to be aware now, not just lost in this thought. And then, that's a way of bringing yourself. Sometimes, a rational or reasonable thought um, also helps the mind. To settle down, he said. So he gives an example. There was a man who, for years, um, in trying to deal with his anger, would think that it was not good to be angry and would try to suppress his anger every time it came up. And so it was a big struggle to deal with his anger by actually n- not allowing it to to manifest. And um, when the teacher spoke to when he spoke to the teacher, the teacher told him, when there's anger and you recognize this is anger, that's right view. Just that acknowledgement. And that gave the man a huge sense of relief that he didn't have to be not having anger. He just needed to be acknowledging this is anger. He would constantly be judging himself. He shouldn't be angry. This is not good. But learning that this is natural, This can happen. Anger is nature. Um, But, you know, no need to identify with it. He said that gave the man a huge sense of relief. And then, being relieved of that burden of judgment, he could then, you know, easily be aware of it without having all that judgment around it. Because now the mind had the right idea about this. A right the right kind of thinking around anger. And for another example, um, the concept of wandering mind. And people think that the mind wanders away and we have to bring it back. It wanders away and we have to bring it back. And the t- teacher explained that the mind is not able to wander anywhere. Things only arise in the mind and the mind itself is only arising. And hearing this, a yogi said when she heard that, it was such a huge sense of relief because otherwise she always felt that she had to be bringing something back and that's energetic. Whereas if you realize that something is just happening in the mind now, the thought is arising in the mind, that's just, you don't have to do anything much more with it than recognize that. And that gave her a sense of relief too. Also another concept, another um, a related uh, understanding around this is that you know, if we think the mind wanders away and we bring it back we think it's this mind that has wandered away and we're bringing the same mind back, then it's one, it's the same mind that's permanent but it's always impermanent it's always unique. so if we, I, if we practice with this idea that this one goes away and this one comes back we're not even practicing from the, you know then we never will understand impermanence because we're holding on to some, unconsciously some ideas of permanence, yes. of something yes. being always there. Yes. So that's why he gives all sorts of information. And when we have the information we need, then we will know how to think about something. We can apply that knowledge to our experience.
1: Yes.
0: So when he says think, he's saying this sort of thinking. Does that make sense? Yes.
2: yes. Feel like I have a harder time concentrating than most people. Mm -hmm. My my memory is uh, seems to be bad, particularly the older I get, and particularly when I'm working at a job that I don't like. (laughs) And but I've I've had this since I was young. I've noticed that my mind just drifts a lot. Even as we're sitting here, I'm having a problem following the thread of of what you're saying and stuff like that. Um, At my last retreat, I talked to Gil about it, and he recommended counting my breath. So I did that. And then while I was at work, you know, I'm in a meeting, and I'm having to listen and retain, and usually I'm not. So I started counting my breath while... I was trying to listen and this helped, Um, but I noticed that I started yawning a lot too and I'm I'm wondering if my mind is wandering out of some defense mechanism or um, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to stay present in The situations, you know, like here I want to be present, but I'm still having a problem following the the thread sometimes. Um, I'm wondering if there's any tricks (laughs) or uh, if it's simply practice, practice, practice or what.
0: um, So he says, um, in the meeting you had and you noticed that you were yawning when you were counting your breaths, Although it's helpful. Um, he says the reason that you started yawning is because it's actually, for your mind, it's tiring. Um, the nature of the mind obviously is, you know, for your mind much more for it to be flitting here and there, to be jumping from this to that. And in trying to keep the mind and counting the breath, to keep the mind on the breath and counting it. He says your mind is having to sort of cross over its natural nature to be jumping here and there and then trying to hold it down with something else. And so th- these two energies working all together is tiring for the mind. So that's one of the things at work there. One of the
1: Not only that, no.
0: He says, Now as you listen to me, do you have a problem? No. No he wrote in this is for me no not now Uh, and do you know why so you notice he says when the mind is really there interested wholehearted um, then the mind will bring itself there naturally you don't even have to do it very much he says so what you need to do is understand why the mind would want to be interested he says, "So the second thing is um, don't think of don't even don't even regard this thing you notice about your mind as a problem. He says, when we put the word problem to anything, automatically we don't like it, and that makes it worse. Actually, and when we are rejecting something in the mind, it actually creates agitation in the mind. So it actually aggravates the whole situation of wanting to be still. Also, nobody actually is able to keep their attention on something for so long, um, continuously. Nobody, but most of us don't notice. We'll have little things here and there going, but it's okay, you know, just carry on sort of thing. And he says, you, in fact, are noticing your mind very clearly. You see its nature very clearly, that it it has this, it works in this way. The mind tends to jump here and there, and that's what it does. He says, if you would be patient with that and recognizing the mind has gone, uh, I won't use the word gone, the mind is now on that or this and noticing that if you know that there is something you want to pay attention to when you notice it's not there just bringing it to where you want to bring to have that attention and then you notice again it's and just bringing it gently patiently you know to what you want to, I mean,
2: I love, love and do it always way.
0: do it and instead of being imp- always and not being impatient with it but just recognizing that this is the nature of the mind and okay the mind is doing this again And then I want to listen to this. And then the mind is doing that again, but I want to listen to this. And if you do this over and over again and and never think it's a problem, he says you'll find naturally the mind does more and more of what you're now directing it to do. You could just try it for a week.
3: Um, I wondered if you could share with us. You know, There are a lot of people um, here in this center and in lots of places I've been to who invariably ask about depression. And uh, so I wondered if you could share with us what it takes to practice with depression and what kinds of people can practice with it and what kinds cannot.
0: He said, um, for people who are able to understand what he means when he talks about working with the mind or emotions and so on, he says, and they know how to take a kind of... neutral stance towards what they're observing and he says for these people they can actually choose to watch the depression the feeling of depression directly Um, because if they understand what he's saying then they can find that they're observing it and not getting involved in it and in fact getting more and more relief from just being with it um, and not being it but For people who find this difficult to understand, they find that if they watch the depression, it just makes them more and more depressed. They're not able to see the mind that is subtly getting involved in subtle ways and all that. He says, then for people like that, it's not helpful to watch the feeling of depression. Then for these people, if they want to practice with the depression, what they need to do is bring the mind to a neutral object, like a body Mm -hmm. sensation. Just be aware of the body sensation. And when the mind feels more calm, see if they can watch the depression for a while. If they notice it's not helping, just go back. And, and, you know, just practice using neutral objects to pay attention to and build their awareness. And then every now and again experiment, trying to watch the depression sometimes. He often says, accept that this is happening. Accept that something is happening. And there are many yogis who don't understand what he means by accept. Um, And they just can't accept it. They're like, you know, they want it to be gone. And for that sort of, you know, when when that sort of reactivity is very strong and they can't accept it so that they cannot watch watch it in an unbiased way, then, you know, they shouldn't be watching it directly.
3: And... um... So how then, because um, I've known depressed people, how then, uh, what does it take for a person who's really depressed to fi- to actually have the confidence to to actually do it? Because if, if they're really depressed, it seems that they would really their mind would be so overpowering to even try to try the practice. If it's not something that's handed to them, you know
1: what I mean.
3: Um, yeah, what I mean is uh, um, that it, when I remember my own depressions when I was in college, uh, I was so depressed yeah. in those days that, that if you told me what I had to do yeah. to get out of it, I wouldn't, Be able to I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, have any uh, initiative to do it. I wouldn't yeah. feel the initiative. So how, where would that come from? How can one impart that? To a person who is.
0: That sort of thing really needs a lot of help from the outside. A lot of support.
1: Good friends, good teachers,
0: people who are always encouraging the person. When he was very depressed, um, he was lucky because he had already been practicing since he was a child. So he knew how to practice. And he also knew a simple thing that when he practiced, it was. It gave him more relief than if he was not practicing. Then the depression was growing, so that alone um, helped him to keep going, yeah, for many years.
3: So then that means that if a person is in, is depressed and they need to work with this, they really need to have someone to look over yeah. them. Yes,
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, this microphone can go to this uh, man. I I
4: have a question about effort I would like I would like to understand effort in the way that I think you are describing but when I think about the four right efforts and when I think about the Buddha's advice and I don't remember the name of the sutta where um if thinking is taking over there are I think seven ways you progress in these ways and the last one is to just chop the head off and from from the way the Buddha is giving instructions it sounds as though enormous effort is having to be brought to bear on the difficulty so when I hear about the that kind of effort, and I hear what Saida was saying, I there's a, some confusion about how to apply the effort.
0: So he's not sure about the sutta that you are referring to, so we won't talk about that sutta at all and how it might mean whatever it means. Um, but he says the difference between putting in a lot of effort and the kind of effort he's talking about, he said, is wisdom. He says, all our lives, the effort we bring to all our endeavors is mostly motivated by what? Greed or aversion. And he says, so in the beginning, all we know how to bring to our efforts to do anything is the energy of greed and aversion and that's a lot of excessive energy, which is tiring for the mind. But he says when we've been given some wisdom to use and we can use that wisdom, we also understand uh, why that you, wisdom is helpful and how, you know, it is sensible and so on, then we can relax into that and, and, and try it out and see that when wisdom is present, actually, the use of energy is just what is sufficient and not everything we think it should be. Yeah. So, you know... Where there is effort, just as there is a right, there is also a wrong. He says, what happens is that we don't recognize the wrong effort. All we want to do is put in more effort. And um, he says, when we don't recognize that it is wrong effort that we're putting in, we just keep building it, you know. He says, and in the full right efforts, if we just take uh, one of the simple lines, which is. preventing the unwholesome from arising so say he says take the example of anger and people think anger should not arise he says, people don't understand how not to make anger not arise they don't understand the proximate cause of anger not arising so what they use to not have something happen is when we don't want something to have happened, that's aversion so we use the energy of our aversion towards anger so, oh, we, I should not be angry aversively and he's met people like that who have years thought they should not be angry. And the only result they got was they, they became more and more angry over the years.
1: Angry is square
0: He says anger is um, squaring itself
1: over and over again. Square
0: kilo kilo. <laughs> Squared, cubed, angle,
1: angle, 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 angle.
0: So we deal with anger with anger and that with anger and so on. So, how do we deal with something? How to eradicate something, actually? He says, and he says, when we ask someone, how do you get rid of anger? All they know is get rid of, but they don't understand that the key to it is wisdom. He says, what we need to do is allow wisdom to grow in the mind, do the things that cultivate wisdom, um, which he has talked about. And he says, once wisdom is growing in the mind, there's a lot of understanding in the mind, then Naturally, because wisdom is present, anger is prevented because there is understanding.
1: He said that's the secret teaching.
0: (laughs) But people don't realize it.
5: (laughs) I've noticed over many years of practice and also being in relationship, a couple of different long-term relationships at the same time of having a meditative practice, that there have been many times when I felt that the relationship actually would, um, like the practice would go a step forward in terms of um, coming to terms with suffering and stress, and the relationship would then um, take a step back, you know, create a step backwards where there'd be some suffering put back into um, my body, my experience. And um, so it's been a struggle for me to stay with um, a practice and stay in a relationship and oftentimes not have thoughts like, I'm creating a lot of suffering by staying in a relationship with a person. Mm -hmm. So there is, um, so I'm kind of curious having heard uh, that, That you started your um, you were married and had uh, you know business and then later in life chose a monastic way yeah. so I'm curious something about whether you know how much one can realistically hope for in terms of evolving when uh, maybe the other person isn't even in. A meditative practice. Maybe they're a dancer or they do something else. So, you know, it, 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 it's something about understanding causes of suffering, the choices you make. Yeah. And, and I actually just would like to hear some reflection on that. Okay. Uh, and actually one more, one more thing. <laughs> And that's that. I'm also have the the belief that once sexuality enters into relationship, it kind of takes the thing to a whole other level of of problem, as well as <laughs> happiness. You know, problem. So yeah. So I'd like to see, hear about that. Okay. Thank
4: you. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Before I've even finished telling him what I was going to tell him, (laughs) he has something to say. He said, you know, the source of suffering or misery is not in the relationship. And it's just like meditation practice. It's all in the mind. What is this mind's attitude what is this mind's relationship to what is happening? What is its nature? Is it aversive, attach, attaching? What is this mind doing? And that is what is causing this mind suffering. It's the same in meditation. We have good meditation, bad meditation. It has nothing to do with the things that we're meditating with. It's all to do with the attitudes that the mind is holding and so too with relationship. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He says, and the level of problems or happiness you have, whether it is in a sexual relationship or otherwise, again, he says there's a universal answer to all this. He said it all depends on our level of wisdom again. So if we don't have enough wisdom to see it all in the right way, that always brings us a sense of peace, then we just need to keep investigating more.
5: I actually appreciate hearing that a lot and, and understand that. And and there's also another piece that we actually get to make choices, like, for instance, when something is going to be, um, some words might be so overwhelming or, or so consistently difficult that um, This is really hard Um, that, you you know, there's the question that if two people are not of like minds, even Mm. that like my decision to come here today, I'll give a specific example, perhaps. And uh, my my girlfriend wanted us to go to the beach and she took it quite personal that I did that I considered this more important than her. And of course, I. Don't consider it more important than her. It's um, not
0: personal. It's not a
5: personal. It's just it's what's more important to me at this moment, and and me wanting support for that decision. Yeah. So in that sense, there's even this crazy way in which I can see that I'm causing her suffering (laughs) by making good choices for
0: myself.
4: (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: her suffering is a result of her way of thinking. It has nothing to do with your choices. <laughs> so about your question of um, making choices, you know, especially if there's a great
1: disparity
0: and so on, he says, then you have to ask yourself where does your values, where do your values lie? He says, who in this world loves anyone else more than themselves? He says, if anyone says they love you more than they love themselves, don't believe them. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) We have to make choices based on the things we value in life for it to be fair, and so on. He says, do we want to choose with wisdom or with greed?
1: He says,
0: don't think of the other person. Just think of your mind. He says, whether your thoughts are right or wrong, the answer is only in that mind. In your own mind.
5: Thank you for that. Uh, And I'm not... uh, in this type of a practice, my understanding is that from the, you know, the Hinayana traditions. Uh, Hinayana
0: traditions. Yeah, tradition. you know, in
5: the Theravetic tradition. Yes. Uh, that the, um, you know, the Buddha talks a lot, apparently, in the Pali Canon about um, passion mm-hmm. uh, being the problem and, you know, restraining the senses and mm-hmm. sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I guess I have this question or a belief that this type of practice actually does have some um, disparity some sort of um, is sort of at odds with having actual sexual relationship
4: mm-hmm.
5: and I actually would just like to know if that if i'm my understanding is right on that or mm-hmm. okay. to be straightened
0: he, he says you know it it's all at each level of wisdom um there is greater understanding that makes the mind itself restrain itself from doing things. At a very basic level, the Buddha only asked for people to uh, observe the five precepts. You know the five precepts. And he says, so, you know, sexuality is not condemned. Uh, it's okay. The Buddha didn't say it's not good in that way. Um, there are some parameters so that people are not hurt and so on, but other than that, um, you know, that's it. But he says, if the wisdom is growing, and it grows to a level, for example, you if you think of the eight precepts, you know the eight precepts. Yeah, so once it comes to that sort of thing, he says it's like whether this mind is willing to go there. He says when the wisdom has grown to that sort of level, then naturally the mind wants to restrain from those things then it happens naturally for the mind. So he says, each with its own level of understanding, each level of behavior. Would you pass the
6: mic to her? So my experience um, this morning during, during the setting meditation um, is what I want to talk about. And just first the background, I think. I forget to bring awareness in general, particularly if I'm talking or doing something, but I've noticed in an environment where it's being talked about, where I'm more remembered of it, I can bring awareness to to the mind and what's happening, but when I was sitting in in a relaxed way, like I'm not being very particular um, yeah. when I'm not focusing on it like like this afternoon, or when we we're talking, you know, I can bring awareness to my mind in a relaxed way. But when I was doing sitting practice, and it starts out fine, but at a certain point, then my mind says, "Okay, so what now? So, so now what?" And and I just sort of notice that and be aware of that, but it just never quite gets beyond that point. And do I just keep noticing that for the whole hour that that question keeps coming up and just being aware of that thought arising, or is there it's almost like I'm bringing too much um, when I'm not trying to sit and be aware, like in this last discussion, it's easier for me to just bring awareness in a relaxed way, whatever is arising, but when I'm actually doing it, yeah. then it gets to the point, okay well, now what? Not, not in terms of I'm expecting something to happen but it's just okay there's just a little bit more tension around it even when I'm trying to be with it in a relaxed way Is, am I yeah.
4: clear at
0: all okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, so when you're in doing a sitting meditation he said think about what you were doing when you were listening to everybody and you felt a natural relaxed awareness think about what it was in the other state and you were not doing a sitting meditation. And another thing is, he says, he's given this suggestion often to people, you might be doing a sitting meditation, but don't think you're going to do a sitting meditation. And if you find even that difficult, just don't sit. (laughs) Because if you find it's easy to be aware in some other way, he said, be aware in the way that is most helpful for you. He said, is it important to sit or is it important to be aware?
6: Yeah, there seems to be some kind of optimum space. It's like when it's totally open, like in my life in general, I forget. You know, when it's a situation like this, it's sort of this optimum. There's enough reminder.
0: So you've got to find your own tuning. Tuning. He says, do a bit of this, that and the other and find what tunes you. He says, if he could help to tune it. He would, but he can't. <laughs> but that's helpful, because it's sort of finding like not too
6: large. This is sort of optimum, and when I'm really I'm sitting, it's too tight. Okay, thank you. That's helpful.
0: You already recognize the two extremes, so you can work with it. So this is the middle way. It's when we recognize the two extremes that we can start moving towards the middle way.
6: So that, that question that arises, is that just a when I am in a sitting situation, do I just see that sort of as a pattern of the mind that's tight or just see that as nature? So and when you're sitting meditating? When I, when I am sitting and I'm doing, I, I, the first 20 minutes maybe I'm doing fine and then it's sort of, or 10 minutes and then it's, and then that question, well, now what? I just sort of so, see that as a minutes, pattern, minutes an old pattern. And
0: just know this is the mind. The mind is doing this. Okay.
4: Okay, Thank
6: That's you. not a problem. <laughs> So, so just that, that habit of been in there.
0: Yeah. Oh, Think okay. of it as a mind. Okay. He says make this mind a cause for awareness to be present. Okay. Okay. He says all. It's not a problem.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank, you.
4: Thank you. Okay. It's the last question. Um, it <laughs> seems <laughs> that the the gist of the teaching is um, to have awareness of awareness is Am
0: yeah.
1: I correct in that? Well, if
0: in saying awareness of awareness, he has become wary over the years. So, you know, if the mind naturally becomes aware of the awareness, okay. that's good, that's the best, he said. But if it's not aware of the awareness, it can't be. He says not to struggle to find it. But to know that it will become possible
1: yes.
0: when the mind becomes able to when it has the ability to be aware of the awareness, it just will be. yeah, or if you find, you can see it now. okay If he says we have to be aware of the awareness, we're going to try to do it, and then it can get very difficult, yes.
7: I so appreciate the teachings from yesterday. And so I took a walk this morning, and I was aware of my awareness and the types of thoughts that I had. And um, I noticed quite a bit of judgment and negative thinking. And then the next thought that came to my mind is, oh, good, that's just nature. And so I'm a little bit – I was thinking, oh, well, this could be really (laughs) – you know, I'm wondering if um, I'm going to give myself a lot of permission to judge and negative thinking, and <laughs> because it's just nature, so it's not a problem. It's not, you know. And so I'm just curious to know, um, you know, is is this the practice, and perhaps eventually uh, my mind will become wholesome by these thoughts, not. Popping up, if if I'm on the right track, or is there something that I am supposed to be doing once I notice all this judgment? And even though I know it's nature, um, you know, to say to maybe think a positive thought.
0: And when you thought, oh, this this is nature, oh,
7: great, what happened? Well, there's a lot of relief, like, oh, that's no problem. I can just think all these (laughs) criticisms of others and myself.
0: But it did It did go on. Those criticizing thoughts still went on.
7: Yes, yes. I mean, they just continued. But there was, relief, you know, like but there was some relief there in that yeah.
0: thought.
4: That uh, <laughs> in
0: he says, so you see, when you don't take it as a problem, he says, it's already right view. Right view gives a sense of relief. And then he says, but, you know, being able to see it as nature is not the end yet. He says becoming able to see that this is just nature is the first step. And then having that relief so that you can, you know, take it lightly. Now you're going to observe it, to learn about it. He says if you cover it with your hands because you're judging it and you don't want to be it, how can you observe it? But now, he says, you turn the palm over and you put it on your palm, you accept it, you say, oh, it's nature. But now you can look at it like this little animal <laughs> wriggling away. <laughs> what is this? What is it doing? <laughs> <Yes>.
1: Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Next session. <laughs>